It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. You once knew her as ER's nurse Carol Hathaway. What do you think shutting down her kidneys? And the good wife's Alicia Florick. I need to atone for my personal failings with my wife Alicia and our two children. Now the Emmy and Golden Globe winning actress Juliana Margulies has become an author with her new memoir, Sunshine Girl. In her book, Juliana is candid about her unconventional childhood. I read that your relationship with your mother was loving but also complicated. She shares how listening to her inner voice allowed her to walk away from tens of millions of dollars. I ran my finger down and went like this, and the line was, I knew I wanted to learn more, not earn more. Hi, Juliana Margalee. Hi, Oprah. It's so good to see you. <laughs> so great to see you. What a pleasure to have you on Super So from my garden in Maui. Here we are looking like little flowers ourselves out here <laughs> in our colors. So I heard you were in New York for most of 2020. What was lockdown like for you there? Uh, we felt very fortunate because we have a house in upstate New York and um, we packed our bags on March 13th and went up there for two weeks of quarantine and stayed there for six months. Wow. So was, was it just the three of you? It was just the three of us. Yeah, I did the shopping and the cooking and the cleaning and, and the laundry and finished the book. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> I want to ask you a few questions I've been asking uh, other Super Soul guests about life during the pandemic. It's so interesting because for the first time in all of our lives, we had this shared experience, a collective universal experience of being at home and figuring out how to be with each other in the home in a different way. Because I know for Stebbin and I, there have been years where I was on the road, he was on the road, you meet somewhere in the middle. I felt because I had been working nonstop since my kid was a baby. Yeah. It was a little bit of heaven for me just to always be home and being able to cook dinner every night. And I challenged myself in the kitchen and started getting very creative because I finally had the time. And that was a really special time for our family. I mean, my kid was like, I kind of like COVID. I mean, I know I shouldn't, but you're home How all the time. How old is he? 
He just turned 13. Oh. And so was this the most domestic you'd ever been? Well, it was the most um, domestic uh, constantly had to be, yes. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yes, constantly. I'm a pretty domestic person, and I do love to cook anyway, and I do love to keep home and make it a place that people want to come to. But this, there were some challenging moments where I would say, I have the most easy go. I mean, you know Keith, he's such an easygoing guy, and he was working crazy hours. For some reason, he was always at his desk working. And one day, I just, I, I looked at him and I said, you have walked by the laundry basket for three months, and it's overflowing, <laughs> and you never once think to do the laundry. Why am I doing the laundry all the time? But I think most women, um, I've, I'm hearing the stories that, for some reason, most of the work fell on us. And, and I think it's just because we're multitaskers. I think it's just inherent. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad. I'm sure there were a lot of men who did laundry too, but it, I felt like I was doing the brunt of the work. And Keith said, I don't mean it. I'm just, I just don't look. I don't see it. I just don't notice that. <laughs> he doesn't notice it. And he was like, it. he said, just tell me and I'll do the laundry. But it was almost easier for me to just do it. And that's my own problem, I know. And that's what happens, that's I what know. happens. You think it's easier to do it yourself and that's why you always end up feeling overwhelmed. You yep. speak for a lot of women. I wanna know for you, were there any bad habits you broke or were there bad habits you acquired during the pandemic? Oh, that's a great question. The bad habit that I broke was rushing. I stopped rushing. Good. Good, because there's nowhere to rush to. Yeah, there was nowhere to rush to the kitchen, <laughs> rush to the laundry room. But I would in yeah. the beginning. I was like, I have to do this, 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 and this. I would, I would set myself up with goals, you know, for the day. I have to record the thing. I have to do the thing. I have to write at least 20 pages today. I have to blah blah. And then I went, you know what? It's a pandemic. Go easy on yourself. Stop. And and yeah. Keith said, we don't have to have a home cooked meal every night. Let's support local businesses. I'll go pick up a dinner one. So then, but we got into a that rhythm. Keith, he's so I know, good. he's a good guy. I got lucky. And one of the things I think that I, um, I would go for long walks every day. Once I got Kieran to, in school in his bedroom and, every, and the, everything was done, I would go out for these six mile run walks and listen to Esther Perel. I had never heard her before. Do you know who she is? Yes, of course, of course. Uh, yeah, and I've, I- I've talked to her, interviewed her, yeah. Oh, I think she's magnificent. And then I would hear all these couples struggling and I'd run home and I would, run up to Keith and go, I feel so lucky. Thank you for being in my life. It made me really cherish what we have when you hear the difficulty people are going through. Um, and I'd be listening to all these podcasts through, you know, cow fields because we're way up in the boondocks. And it was kind of a cathartic experience. And I would say all three of us started doing was meditating, even my kid. Wow, that is so good. Yeah. That's a great habit to start. It sounds like Kieran, because you were saying earlier, he was saying, I, I kind of like this, this, this COVID, that you bonded in a way with, as a family that you would not have without the pandemic. Yeah, we really did. I mean, yeah. I think he felt very held because one of us is always leaving. And games, I mean, don't judge me, but I taught him poker. And um, he's become quite a poker shark. But every night we'd sit, I have a poker set, and we'd sit and we'd play poker. We really played games and talked, and I think it just, we weren't rushing. What did so. you learn during the pandemic that you could live without? And what did you learn you could not live without? I could live without all the, the fuss. I learned that a simple life is actually much more healthy. I loved feeling relaxed and not rushing.
Mm. That I can live without. What I can't live without are my friends. I really do not want a life without the enrichment of my friendships. Macy's Mother's Day gift guide has the perfect gift to make mom feel special. Shop by price, like 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrance, handbags, and more. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything. Gifts that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted and for grandma. Get top gifts like Dolce & Gabbana Devotion, Eau de Parfum, Coach Floral Printed Leather Cassie Crossbody Bag, and Le Creuset Shallot Dutch Oven. Shop at Macy's.com slash The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. What did you recognize in your life that, if anything, needed to change? I, I think... Um my capacity to worry. I had no control. Oh. We didn't know what this was, right? And I'm an A-type. I, I like to be in control of everything. And I had to let go. And I think that was the healthiest thing that could have happened to me. And I think my son and my husband would say the same thing. <laughs> did, did you feel tested at all? Did you feel tested? And if so, what tested you the most? There were moments where my patience was tested because I felt overwhelmed with responsibility, but I think I have that inherently in my nature anyway. And there were moments I probably had a breakdown, I would say a handful of moments where I just lost it, and that's not in my nature. What does lost it look like on you? What does it look like on you? How does lost it express itself? Oh, <laughs> I was ashamed. Honestly, I have to say, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I just screamed. I n I'm not a screamer and I hate yellers. And I just was like, Karen, I can't, you know, I'm doing everything. And this, I'm doing this at the time he was 12. I can't do everything and I can't, and you're asking me. And, and I stopped, I saw the look on his face and I walked out of the room, which is what I normally do when I get upset. I walk out to take a breath and decide how I want to react in the moment because I don't want to ever regret anything. So I want to think things right. through. And I walked back in and I said, I am so sorry. You just saw your mom be a human being and I need you to know that was wrong. I, I put it all on you and I, I really apologize and I hope you can accept my apology. And he was like, mom, it wasn't that bad. I was like, no, that was bad. Like that was not good. And you're a kid and I'm the adult and I need you to know. And he, and that was it. He goes, can we forget it? And I was like, yeah, let's forget it. But at least you apologize. I think yeah. that's good. I think that's good. Yeah. That you are modeling for him what to do when you feel like you've done something wrong. Because we're all going to mess up. We're only human, yep. you know? 
Yes. And so children need to see that part of it too. If they see it all perfect, they're going to have a hell of a waking up in the real world, you know, when they grow up. So they need to see us be imperfect. That is exactly what you did by modeling that. Yeah. Let's talk about your book. The title yeah. feels so happy. <laughs> Sunshine Girl, An Unexpected Life. Yeah. Why was this the time to release this book into the world? Well, actually, I was just doing the finishing touches of it during the pandemic uh -huh. and all the editing. And the when you think a book is finished and then your editor says, let's move this around and move that around. And then you're like, yeah. ah! Yeah. I had been working on the book for four years um, because every time um, I would get a job and have to learn crazy dialogue, I would write, I can't meet that deadline. I have no time to write. So what I thought would take me a year took me four years. You know, I think that a book is such a sacred thing when you release your story into the world and the story of your family and how you came to be. Why did you want to do that? It's a great question. At this time, yeah. It didn't start out that way at all. Um, this book has had yeah. many iterations and it was originally called A Left Instead of a Right, which was, um, it was sort of going to be more of an idea that I had about how my career always took left turns instead of right turns, because it was something my grandfather always used to say, you never know, if you make a left instead of a right, you don't know how your day's gonna turn out. You might meet the man you're gonna marry. And I always felt that my career had done that. For example, ER. I got ER as a guest star on the pilot, and then I died. And that was the end of that. And then all of a sudden, my character lived. And, and that was such an incredible launching point for my career. So I always seemed to go in the back door. I didn't have the studio deal or the, the um, we're gonna test you for this pilot. Oh, you got the pilot, now let's give you a deal. I, it, it just sort of seemed to go um, in a circuitous route. So that's how it started. And then as my... But, but I'd, I'd read that the reason that George Clooney played a big part in that. Yeah, and I write, I write about that in the book. He did. Yes. I had come back to New York and I was living in a walk-up apartment building with some mice and I needed, a, <laughs> I needed a job. I was offered a job and when I was, when I came home after the offer and I was thinking about if I should do it, which I really of course was gonna do it, who was I? I had, I had nothing. Um, there was a message from George Clooney and he's on my machine. And he said, uh, I hear through the grapevine that they may keep you on as a series regular, don't take another job. And I gambled on George Clooney and I didn't take that job. He is responsible for my career. <laughs> uh, well, at least changing the trajectory. Yes. I believe in those trajectory moments, you know. Yeah. And after six years on ER, you decided to walk away, turning down another two-year contract that was going to offer you 27, uh, reportedly, yeah, $27 million. That is the number, right? That is the number. I, 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 and everywhere around you, you did the thing that people do when you know in your heart what you should do, but you go around and you ask everybody else, what do you think and what do you think and what do you think, right? Uh, and yeah. everybody says, girl, take that money. <laughs> of course. Everyone and says then, that. And then I, I, I love how you describe this in the book. You go to the Bodhi Tree, of all places. <laughs> the Bodhi Tree bookstore, yeah. Tell, tell us that story. I believe in divine timing. I believe in divine intervention. I mean, I have never seen, I've heard lots of stories, but you can't get a clearer sign than that. So share that with us, will you? Yeah, it was such an incredible moment. I felt very alone because I knew that I, I had already planned what I was gonna do before they had offered me that money. I had 
my life planned. I was going back to New York and um, to do, go and do this play, and then all this money came up. So everyone I asked said, you'd be crazy, take the money, take the money. I went to the Bodie book store. I had never been there. I don't know why I went. I had heard a friend had gotten some spiritual books, and I had been studying some Buddhism, so I went. And I ran my finger down a shelf, and I picked out a book that, that was called um, Awakening the Buddha Within by yep. uh, Surya Lam Das. And I brought it home, and I said nothing. I walked into my bedroom. I shut the door. I opened the book. I closed my eyes, and I went like that. I truly, this is verbatim, went like this. And I opened my eyes, and the line was, I knew I wanted to learn more, not earn more. Whoa. I love that. I love, 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 love when that happens. I went like this. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was such an amazing moment in my life because no one else, no one else was in that room but me and that moment, you know? And I knew. I knew. I said, that's it. I, I, this is it. And I know there was a lot of uh, naysayers and a lot of judgment and a lot of name-calling, but I, I knew. Well, you know, it's so unusual, and we'll talk about this later, but it's so unusual to get two incredible, iconic roles in a lifetime. And so when you turned that down, when you said, I'm walking away from ER, you were consciously aware that something like that might not show up again, correct? Absolutely and willing to let that go. Yeah, I mean, ER was a gift, you know, and, and that, it only happens, George and I always used to say, he, was, he would say, the stars only align like this once, when you have this kind of a yeah. cast, this kind of a writing, this kind of a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon, it was. I remember. I yeah. mean, we were getting 44 million viewers every week for six years, pretty much, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. it was always the, the number one show, and... I was prepared to say goodbye to it because it had been such an enriching experience and I was ready to move forward. You know, I was single, I was young. I, I was about to go do a play. I was already signed on to do The Mists of Avalon. Like, I had a year's worth of work lined up. Yeah. I felt so lucky to have had the experience. So, yeah, I was ready. It takes a lot of strength and courage to make the decision when, you know, that much money is coming at you. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Let's talk about your unconventional childhood. You grew up in France, England, and the United States. How would you describe your mother and father... How would you describe how your family started and then split? I would describe my parents both as deeply intellectual human beings that were always on a spiritual path. They were always looking to dig deeper into their spiritual life. And for that, uh, I really feel that I'm incredibly fortunate, except unfortunately, within that 
environment, uh, when, you're, when you're really trying to find yourself, you often forget the people who are right in front of you. And that's sort of what happened. Their, their marriage di disintegrated, I think, before I was even... Yeah. I think it was, it was ending before I was even conceived. So they separated when I was a year old. And my father moved to, to Paris, and my mother followed him a year later because she wasn't gonna stay in the suburbs of Spring Valley, New York, while my father was living in Paris. And, in Paris, yeah. And she was on this sort of quest to find her career. My mother was a ballerina, and after three children, didn't know what she wanted to do with her life, but she certainly wasn't gonna just be a housewife. I love what you write on page seven, that growing up for me was a life in chaos, sometimes beautiful, always filled with love, but much of the time insecure in structure and habitat. It's so interesting because to look at you, the roles you've played, the presence and carriage that you bring to all of your personal appearances, no one would assume any kind of insecure structure and habitat. How did you adapt to the chaos, first of all, and what was your particular coping mechanism? So I think it's one of the main reasons why I need to be in control as an adult. <laughs> So the book is titled The Sunshine Girl based on a nickname my mother gave me the day I was born because I didn't cry. She always says, you came into this world like a, just a ray of sunshine. You were just always smiling and you were always happy. And I looked at my role because of that name as a yeah. way of making everyone happy. I will be the one that isn't difficult. I will be the one that makes people smile that's my role. And so when the chaos and the uncomfortableness and the sometimes not appropriate living situations would happen, I had to, in myself, felt that I had to be okay with that. So if I could bring sunshine into a room, then everyone would be happy. Of course, that's also crippling, right? Because then I couldn't Of course, because it's not real. It's not real. it's not real. It's and, not real. And, it's a, and it can be burdensome, yeah. Well, I, I read, too, that your relationship with your mother was loving but also complicated. I mean, what struck me is that you'd gone to visit your father and you come back home and your mother is with uh, a 21-year-old guy. That must have been... That she moved into our house. That she moved into your house. Yeah. And, and you're 15. You were, weren't you 15 I was at 15 the time? years old. You're 15, he's 21, she's 46. Oh, my God, I went, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, that, that changed How did our... you get through that? We were very close, my mother and I. Even though I knew uh, a lot of my family uh, disapproved of her, and um, my father was always feeling like, oh, what else is Francesca going to do? Um, because she was a wild spirit. This, for me, severed our relationship. Yeah. Definitely in the beginning, because it was the first time my middle sister, Rachel, was gone. She was in college, so I was alone. One of the reasons I think that story is so important because lots of people have been put in that position where your parent finds someone else and now you feel completely usurped and unimportant. And your mother didn't do a lot to make you feel that you were the important one because it was clear that the 21-year-old was now more important than you. I think that's Correct? what hurt the most. Of yes, all of it yes. was the disrespect yeah. for my existence yeah. in that home yes. with her. And she and I have talked about this a lot. She has wept many tears over this. I mean, I, I, apologize. Feel, yes. I feel so grateful that she's still alive 
and that we have been able to have these intense just mother-daughter therapy sessions, not with a therapist present, but she's done enough work on herself and I've done enough work on myself where I can say, you need to fess up, and she does. That's why I was able to yeah. write the book. Yeah. Because she gave me that permission. You say, I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't registering the temperature of other people's feelings. I made sure to do everything in my power to make things better for my mother to sit on her lap longer after dinner or try to make her laugh. That must have been exhausting as a child to always kind of be on that kind of high alert to be Miss Sunshine. It's exhausting as an adult, too. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, it's exhausting to feel that you are responsible for someone else's feelings, which as an adult now, I know I'm not, I can't be, right? Um, right. But as a child, you don't know that. So if it's not working, then it's really devastating. If you're trying to make someone feel better and they're not feeling better when you're little, you don't understand what you did wrong. So yes, in that sense, it was very exhausting. So when you're raised that way with a lot of chaos going on, it affects the way you make choices in your own relationships. So were you trying to do the opposite of what you'd seen your parents do when you went to choosing your, your own personal relationships? I so didn't want to be like my mother. I, have, I kept a journal um, from the age of nine until I was probably 30. And I had them all. And that helped a lot. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. And I had all these journals that I found. And I would read this, you know, child's writings, all the, the anxiety and fear I was going through. And I, I, first of all, I think everybody, every child should get off that computer and have a journal by their bed because it is, for later on, it yeah. helps you understand your journey in this life, you know? So you still have all of yours since you were nine? Yeah. I have, like, I started around 15, and now I just, just do gratitude journals, but it's an incredible perspective yeah. to have your own words define what your life has been, isn't right. it? it? It's amazing, and also you forget. So it's a, be it's yes. a beautiful reminder, and it's also chronologically, I was like, oh, right. It really helped me form this book because I could feel, I mean, I, I read some of them and I just burst into tears. I was like, oh my God, why wasn't someone yeah. hugging that little girl? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, yeah, you weep for the woman yeah. you were, the girl you were. I understand that. During the four years you were writing this book, we saw the rise of the Me Too movement and you shared your own frightening encounter in prior interviews and also here in Sunshine Girl. What happened? you want to share? Yeah, so I, I write a chapter, it's called Out for Justice, which is the name of the movie I did with Steven Seagal. Yes. And, um, and I write the experience of how it really happened um, for me in that hotel room with him. He uh, duped me into going into a hotel room without the casting director there, and how I was uh, realized what a stupid move that was at 10 o'clock at night to show up in a man's hotel room at 22 years old. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know any better. Um, and the casting director had told me she would be there. So I, I come into his hotel room and I say, where's the casting director? And he says, oh, she had to go home, it was getting late. Go sit down on that, go sit right there. And he pointed to the specific cushion on a couch. I sat down and there was something very hard and uncomfortable under it. So I jumped back up and he said, oh, 
I must have left my gun. And he takes out a gun. I mean, if you wrote it in a movie, you wouldn't believe it. He takes out wow. a gun. I'd never seen a gun. I'm like, I was like, <laughs> I, I thought only policemen and soldiers had guns. You know, I was so, and he, he's holding wow. the gun up and I'm freaking out. At that point, I realized, oh my God. And he's huge. I'm alone in this room. I'm he's alone in this room. He's six foot yeah. four. He's a martial arts. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I was told. And I'm alone in a room. There were no cell phones. There was no, no one knew where I was except the casting director because she's the one who called me to go to do the scene with him that they wanted to work on. Huh. And I started to spin. Definitely my brain thought, how am I gonna get myself out of this? And then he said, I'm tired. He always talk like this in a whisper. Um, I wanna go to the bedroom because I'm tired. I need to lie down, but we'll talk in there. And I thought, oh boy, okay. How are you gonna, how are you gonna get you out get of this? Get yourself out of this, yeah. I go. And he's got the gun. In my head, I just want him to put the gun down. And um, he did. He put the gun on the bedside table. And he sat down and he had me sit on the bed. And he said, I'm a healer. <laughs> I'm, I'm a healer. And I can heal you. Let me see your palm. And he, he took my palm. And he looked at it mm. for a long time, rubbing his fingers on my palm. And he said, you have weak kidneys. <laughs> And the tough New Yorker in me, I was like, we kidding? Like, what? And I started I to see this one. stupid shtick happening. And then he looked at the other one and he goes, I can heal you. I can, I can help your weak kidneys. And I was like, I don't think I have weak kidneys. <laughs> but it was so funny in, in retrospect that I sort of thought, this is so stupid, I can get out. And I just sort of jumped up from the, and I said, you know what? It's really late. I know it's my final audition tomorrow. I'm gonna get home and get some, some sleep so that I'm fresh for the audition. And I, I got out, unharmed, unscathed, except afraid. And then I had the audacity. And this is what being broke will do to a person. I got in the elevator and realized I had been promised money for a cab home because it was that midtown Manhattan. I lived in Brooklyn. Yeah. It was midnight. I didn't want to take a, I had told the casting director that. I don't take subways at midnight. And she said, don't worry, we'll give you money for a cab. And I went back and I knocked on the door. Do you believe? I had the, uh. But I was broke, Oprah. <laughs> and, I, and he opened the door. And I made sure to stand on the other side in the hallway. And I talked really loud. And I said, I was promised cab fare home. And he hands me, just laughs at me, looks at me the whole time, you know? Hands me the money. And I ran, got in the elevator and I looked and it was a hundred dollar bill. And I thought if I just survived being in a hotel room with, a, with an action star and a gun, I can survive a subway ride home. So I paid off my credit card. <laughs> but what you write about that, what you write about that in Sunshine Girl is deep down I felt shame even though ultimately nothing physically happened to me. I didn't want anyone thinking I got the part based on anything but my talent. Has telling the story helped release whatever that was? Yeah, absolutely. I'd never told that story really to anyone until the Me Too movement. Because, you know, once you start hearing other women talking about it, you realize, why did I sit on that? Why have I never told that story? And I, I guess for me, it was because nothing really, nothing physical did happen to me. And, 
and I was smart enough to know never to be alone with him on set and always to make sure I was with the group of actors. But I really understood where those girls were coming from. And by the way, that happened to me. And I went and auditioned the next day and got the role and did it. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The New York Times TV critic, The Margaret Lyons, called The Good Wife one of the best legal dramas of the modern era, she oh. said. You won a Golden Globe, two Emmys, two SAG Awards for playing Alicia Florek. 156 episodes. That's a remarkable run for any acting career. And you say that playing Alicia made you a better partner in real life. How so? There's something about lawyers. <laughs> and have, I'm married to her. He calls himself a recovering lawyer. They wait before they respond. I'm a very emotional person. I'm choleric. Something happens and I want to respond right away. Alicia taught me to stop and see both sides the way lawyers do. And I brought that into my own personal life and it really made me a calmer, better partner. Because instead of having a visceral reaction to something, I, I wait for a minute and go, wait, that happened, wait, but is my reaction right? It might not be right. Let me look at this for a second before I turn and blow something up into a drama, which is ah. what I used to do. It taught me yes. a different way to think. Yeah. I'm yeah. grateful for that. So I love this. So being able to let that character go, which was such an, a part of the culture, I mean, that was also a phenomenon yeah. that you created. So I guess everything you do becomes a phenomenal no, thing. It's the writing, though, <laughs> really. It, it is the writing. I, I got lucky in timing, but it's the writing. If the writing's not there, the character's not there, right? Yeah. And yeah. the beauty of television, and I always tried to... And also timing. Also timing. timing, don't you think? Absolutely. Uh, timing, don't you think? Because that first opening pilot scene that you talk about in Sunshine Girl, when she's walking down the hall with her husband and then goes to the basement, the paparazzi and all that. We had just come off of a lot of Zelda real Spitzer. circumstances. Yes. I remember watching it. This is way before I had even knew about the script of The Good Wife. And I turned and said, said to Keith, she wants a hole to swallow her up. I have never abused my office. I have never traded lighter sentences for financial or sexual favors. And that's what they captured in the pilot of that show, which I, is what I think caught on to yes. a global phenomenon. Yes, because that, that woman standing by her man, but wanting to be swallowed up. And you did that. I mean, you, you, you embodied that. Thank you. Yeah, I love that character. That. I miss her. Do you? I miss Alicia, yeah, I do. I don't want to yeah. play her again. But I, I just miss, I, I used to love getting the written line. I just loved how incredibly smart she was. Well, what's interesting, and you write this in Sunshine Girl, that when you have to embody a character like that, that the two of you kind of grow together, that she becomes a part of you, you're part of her, that kind of thing. So when you finally had to let her go and had filmed the final episode, you knew the final episode was coming, is it a kind of like a, a grieving, a parting, a grieving? In Absolutely. A way? I mean, in 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 perfect Juliana fashion, in, you know, I, I, 
look back because I got the chicken pox the night that we wrapped. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. broke out into heart. When I read that, you know what I thought? What? This happened to me, not, not chicken pox, but at the end of every season of filming The Oprah Show, I never missed a show in 25 years. Right. I went no matter what I was feeling. But at the end of every season, I would get so sick, it would be hard to get out of bed. Right. So, and, and also true for a lot of the producers, too. Because I think, so when I read that, I thought, oh, that's what happens. Your body knows. Your bo I was holding, 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 holding. And then when I could drop it, and in a weird way, I look back now, it wasn't fun going through it. But the chicken pox, right, they blister up, and they're very, very painful. Then they turn to scabs, and then they all go away. And it was almost like this, it took three weeks to fully get better, and it was almost like this shedding of my skin to shed Alicia oh, from me. It was quite a moment. I was like, why chicken pox of all things? Like every, after every season, I would always get sick because that's what, like you say, you can't work that hard and not get sick. But chicken pox? And it sort of was almost like, you know, going, it just, they just all the skin fell off me. And it was like I was almost reborn. But it took a long time to get out of also the constant rush that I was in learning nine pages of dialogue every day, having to throw that, that dialogue out of my head so I could learn it for the next day, making sure I was the mom and the wife and the friend and the daughter. It was so much of this, running, 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 without checking myself, that letting go of Alicia was truly one of the most calming experiences of my life because I wasn't on a clock. So it, it, it was quite a moment and a mourning period because I loved her and I loved the people I worked with. And I heard you were offered a guest star on The Good Fight, a spinoff of the original, obviously. You turned down the role because the network refused to pay you your rate that you received for The Good Wife. I say, standing up for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I really looked, looked at that moment and I thought, yeah, why not? Sure. But then when they didn't want to pay me my rate, which I, I thought was fair, I was like, okay, you're going to pay me what you paid me on The Good Wife. I just thought, if I can't say no to that, then the girl coming up behind me is going to get the same treatment. Right. I think that's great, Juliana. You did it not even for yourself as much no. as for the people coming up behind you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't need the money. I did it on principle and fact, <laughs> you know? Like, this is my worth, you gotta pay it. <laughs> you say here, when you first met Keith, you thought that he was an actor and you just wanted to stay clear. But now <laughs> you've been married 14 years. What is it that makes the marriage work? Uh, I got really lucky. He got lucky too. He, yeah, we have such mutual respect for one another. Mm-hmm. And we both are incredibly First of all, we're not in the same business, which I think is really a good thing. He gets excited by my work and I get excited by his work. Ah. I've never learned more from another human being than I have from my husband. I know it sounds so corny and I waited, you know, I waited. I was 39 when I met Keith and I was ready to have an adult relationship at that age and not bring all my baggage to it. So I could really see him for who he was. And here's what made it work. I never pretended to be anything I wasn't. I used to pretend all the time in relationships, like, oh, he'll like me better if I do this or if I do that. There was this great moment, and it had been in the book once, but it got cut out. But the greatest moment for me in my relationship with Keith, and I think there's a lot of women who will relate to this, 
was we had had a late night out when we were first dating. We were like three months in and we were walking to the kitchen to get make coffee and we were both a little bleary eyed, I'm not gonna lie. And I saw um, <laughs> a, a ball of fluff on the carpet on the hallway runner in front of me. And I bent down to go get it. And he said, seriously, you're gonna pick that up now? And I remember my hand hovering over that ball of fluff and thinking, don't pick it up. He's gonna think you're a crazy cleaning freak or blah, blah, blah. And I went and I picked it up and I turned around and I went, yeah, this is who I am. I like a clean house. I pick up fluff if I see fluff, whether I have a headache or I'm tired. It's who I am. And he started laughing so hard. He was like, that's awesome. My apartment's down the street if you want some more fluff to pick up. He just thought it was funny. Originally it had been in the book, but I had to edit it out. Yeah, he's not gonna notice the fluff. He didn't see the laundry for three <laughs> months. Exactly. For goodness sakes. But okay. that was a turning moment for me. And I know it sounds like such a small little thing, but for me it was huge. Because I was letting him know, this is it. Love it all or don't love me. Well, you just answered why it works. Because and the that's both why of you can be your full self. You're turning 55 this year? Yes, I am. Oh. <laughs> yeah, in June. I, I remember when I turned 50, Maya Angelou said to me, baby, the 50s are everything you've been meaning to be. Do you feel that now in the center of this decade? I love it. Yeah, I have to tell you, I wouldn't want to be any other age. I really wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't want to be younger. There is such power in getting older. I mean, there's things that really are awful, like I, you know, my perfect eyesight's going. <laughs> there's certain things that, that aren't great You're about it. You're lucky if you still have that. I mean, yeah, I was right? 42, sitting at Bergdorf's having lunch, and I noticed I cannot read the menu. What is going on here? So that happened to me early. 42, no, 42, yeah. I was like, you know? I, yeah, doing but, that thing, yeah, yeah. But the, the power comes in knowing who you are, right? W well, listen, you certainly must have learned a lot about yourself, just making everything so perfect in this book. You did a really good job compiling all of the stories from your past, integrating them with who you are now. So what is the thing the writing taught you most about you? What's the big revelation? I know it's cathartic when you do something like this, so what was it for you? I've got a full disclosure here. I tried to give my advance back on this book three times. I felt like such a failure. One, because I'm such an avid reader and I love writers so much. My father was a writer. I have such respect for them. And I kept thinking, who do you think you are that you can write a book, Miss Missy? Like, really? This is gonna be awful. Miss Sunshine. Yeah, Miss Sunshine. Sunshine. Yeah. See, I know I can act. I don't know if I can write. So I'm uncomfortable now. And now you have to sit in it. So sit in it. <laughs> it's okay. What's the worst that can happen? You fail? At least you tried. What would you say to Kieran? Try. If you fail, we'll still love you. So it was such an amazing process for me. And by the way, I had to give myself this pep talk pretty much every morning. I loved the process of writing. Well, thank you for writing it and letting us know that even the Sunshine Girl doesn't have to be the Sunshine Girl all the time. Right. But the most important thing is to be 
yourself. Yeah. And that's how we all get to have an unexpected life. So thank you so much. Thank it's you, Oprah. May 4th, available May 4th, Sunshine Girl. Thank, thank you so you, much. Thank you. It's so good to see you. Good to see you. Give my best, 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 best to Keith. I will. Of course I will. Take care. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.